You're listening to STEM Essential, an Iowa Governor's STEM Advisory Council podcast. Hear from leading advocates and voices about why STEM education is crucial for our world today and tomorrow. Welcome, everybody, to Series 2 of STEM Essentials, podcasts featuring some of Iowa's and the nation's leading thinkers in STEM. This series is all about STEM jobs of the future. I'm Jeff Weld, Director of Iowa's STEM Council, an Edgenomic Development Initiative, where education and economic development merge to improve lives and communities. The people we'll hear from are edgenomic developers, commingling jobs with learning. Today, featuring Beth Townsend, Director of Iowa's Workforce Development, and a member of the Executive Committee of the Governor's STEM Advisory Council. She also chairs the Veterans Affairs Committee for the National Association of State Workforce Agencies. A 20 plus year veteran of the US Air Force, a JAG officer, Beth earned her law degree at the University of Nebraska and was a private practice attorney for about 10 years before serving the state of Iowa. Thank you for joining us, Director Townsend. Well, thank you for the opportunity, Jeff. I look forward to the conversation. Excellent, let's begin. In fact, let's begin with your own personal professional journey that has intersected so strongly with STEM in Iowa. Could you reflect for us on what significant influence or influences set you on a course for military service, for law school, for leading a state agency? Well, it's interesting. Um, My mother was an original STEM leader. She was a chemistry major at at Oklahoma State University in the 50s and was one of maybe three women in a room full of several hundred men who were also getting their chemistry degree at Oklahoma State. Uh, She completed her uh, bachelor's in about 19, in the late 1950s um, and was always... um, adamant that we would all get very good educations. My father was also a school administrator, so grew up in in a house where education was incredibly important. And even in the 70s and 80s, when I went to high school, uh, math and science were right there at the top of the list of things and classes that we needed to take to help develop our minds, teach us how to think. Uh, Went to law school, honestly, because I didn't think I could find a job that I was all that interested in after graduating from college. So I went to law school um, and really uh, enjoyed the experience because again, it's another way to train you, your brain how to think is really what law school is about. It's not about memorizing cases and all of that. It's really about new ways to look at, at problems and how to, how to problem solve in an efficient way. Um, I joined the military again because I couldn't find a job. I didn't think I wanted to sit in a, in a law office very long and I interviewed with a JAG um, representative and they told me all the exciting work that JAGs get to do, get to travel, get to live across the United States, hopefully overseas, get into the courtroom right away, which is important to me. I wanted to do litigation. Uh, So I joined the Air Force after law school and it was just the best experience I've ever had. Um, Met the best lawyers I've ever known, Um, got got to live and and work overseas, got to travel, got to do lots and lots of trials, really enjoyed the work. Um, But then it was time to get out and uh, I had a son to raise. And so moved to Iowa, 
to be near his father so that we could raise him together uh, and have been in Iowa since 2000, uh, practiced privately for about 10 or 11 years, and then met Governor Branstad uh, and worked for four years as the director of the Civil Rights Commission, which was the area that I'd been practicing law. Um, at the beginning of his second term, I told him I wanted to do something a little more challenging. So he offered me the workforce development uh, director position, which at the time I, I had no idea exactly what the agency did. And I had no idea the amount of work that they do and the good work that they do in helping people find new career pathways. Because it's so much more than paying unemployment claims, although that's really what we've been doing during the pandemic. But it's really about taking people um, wherever they may be in their in their life journey, helping them evaluate what they can do, helping them develop interest, and then finding the right training pathway, and then connecting them with employers. Wow, what a life story, and what an amazing job. I think I can speak on behalf of all Iowans you're doing at the helm at Iowa Workforce Development. What a story, your mother, your family at large, but your mother, the pioneer, a chemistry major swimming against the current with all those men in the chemistry department at OSU in the 50s. She too could make an intriguing podcast. <laughs> well, it, you know, really, it was interesting because when she graduated from college, she couldn't get a job because she was a woman. And everywhere she would, you know, she wanted to, to get into petroleum engineering uh, and research in labs. And everywhere she went, she couldn't get an interview or she couldn't get um, offered because they said to her, well, we don't hire women and we don't hire young women because you're going to go have babies. And uh, finally, she got to the point where she just started putting her first initial and her last name so they wouldn't know she was a woman until she showed up. Then she would get, you know, well, you're a woman. <laughs> well, yes, but I also have a degree and graduated, you know, with a almost 4.0 GPA. So I, I know what I'm doing. Kudos to her. What We have come a long ways. Today, chemistry majors across America are almost 50-50 male-female. So uh, due to pioneers like your mom, we're making great progress. Yes, yes. So you personally, I know our listeners are going to find it enlightening that you're a member of the Choctaw Nation. What, uh, what about that Native American heritage or pedigree do you attribute to your your professional ethic? Well, my uh, great-grandmother was a full-blooded Choctaw, and my father was always very, very proud of his membership in the Choctaw Nation, as, as am I. We've been connected to the tribe from the very beginning. Um, my grandfather was, uh, his high school was completed at uh, Jones Academy, which was one of the academies that were created for Indian children to to go to, to help them become more civilized, if you will. Um, but the, the sense of pride in our family for being Native American and the importance of that um, and being good representatives has always been, you know, a driving force. And what a wonderful role model you present to underserved and underrepresented children of Iowa. So let's move into the topic of the day, developing Iowa's STEM workforce is what you do at least part of the time in your day job now. And in this instance, STEM jobs and what the future holds is the focus of the podcast. So considering our listeners, they're gonna range from parents to teachers to business professionals, nonprofit heads, policymakers, and maybe a few students. 
What would you say to them if they wonder why this podcast should matter to them? Why should they tune in? Well, hopefully they will hear great ideas about STEM careers, about STEM pathways, and the importance of STEM education beginning in K-12 and continuing throughout their educational journey. Because you know, now and in the future, there aren't any jobs that are not going to require STEM skills. I don't care what industry you're in. I don't care what occupation you're in. You need good, solid math and science skills. They will help you develop problem solving. They will help you with critical thinking. They will help you with creative um, problem solving. So STEM is really, it's not just the future, it's here, um, but it's it's going to become even more important as we move forward. And certainly the pandemic, I think, has accelerated the need for STEM education um, in our K-12 system but also uh, in post-secondary career paths. Indeed, on all those respects. I mean, we sure know now how badly we need epidemiologists and virologists and uh, computer modelers and data analysts, uh, antibody uh, producers, et cetera. Um, as economic drivers, and I think we hear that a lot, we say that a lot to audiences, whether or not you are a STEM person or you have STEM interests, STEM very much influences your life as an economic driver of uh, Iowa's uh, way of life. In fact, I want to transition to uh, your your position makes you a critical contributor to the economic landscape of Iowa. As a member of the governor's cabinet, you carry a profound responsibility to guide a, a vital agency in helping to drive Iowa's economy. So I want to talk with you about the current landscape, as we've touched upon now, as well as the future as you see it. Uh, first, how would you characterize this moment in time, 2020, 2019, 2021, uh, with regard to STEM jobs, high demand STEM jobs and Iowa workforce development, uh, how you're helping employers and job seekers both get and keep high demand STEM careers, current status quo? Wow, that's a, we could be here all day, Jeff. Um, So as you know, the Future Ready Iowa initiative was created by a work, the work that was done by the Future Ready Iowa Alliance in 2017 and 2018. That was created in recognition that we were going to have high demand jobs. We needed to be able to fill them much faster than we were. We needed to create a pipeline, a talent pipeline, if you will, that went right from high school um, through post-secondary education and, and into, the, um, into the workforce. And one of the things, a lot of the things that we realized in that uh, work were number one, we needed our STEM education and our work-based learning and career development to begin much, much sooner than your junior or senior high, high school year. In fact, we need to, those need to be integrated parts of our K-12 education system um, so that we can expose and, and educate our, our students and our parents and our teachers about all of the different and evolving occupations and industries that we're seeing in Iowa um, and the skills that are going to be needed uh, to be able to work in those fields. I think the pandemic probably has accelerated um, the need to be flexible and fluid and dynamic in education. We need to be able to respond very quickly to changes in the economy, to changes in our industries. And the world is different now than it was uh, in February of this year because the pandemic has brought to light 
some of our strengths and weaknesses and the need for certain more certain occupations, as you pointed out earlier, but also um, that that list of occupations is going to expand at an accelerated rate. And it's key that our education keep pace with that change, whether that's at the K-12 area or whether that's um, post-secondary in community colleges in our region and private universities in, um, in our short-term certificate programs. There is just a need to make sure that our education can keep up with the really rapidly changing um, uh, workforce needs that our employers are, are having as we get through and to the other side of the pandemic. So um, STEM is gonna be a key part to that and it's got to start early um, and often. And it will be, I think, the launching pad for terrific occupations uh, for all people, not just kids coming out of high school right now, but adults whose jobs have been affected by the pandemic. There are great training opportunities available at our community colleges, through other programs that are regent universities and private universities, um, where you can retool your, your career, you can upskill, you can find a new way. Uh, some of the jobs that we previously had are gonna disappear, uh, which is unfortunate, but also an opportunity. And so people just need to be um, thinking more broadly in terms of what's available out there in, the, in terms of getting an education and also uh, in terms of your own career pathway. I don't care what your age is. It's an interesting point that you bring up and listeners are gonna have to take my word for this when I say that from my purview of the landscape across the United States, state by state, I know of no other state who's come to this realization as quickly as we have and done so much about it through Future Ready Iowa that is to recognize workforce development begins in K-12. School systems are the first workforce development entity, and this state has grasped that quicker. And I think it's a tribute to you and the council members and the Future Ready Iowa Advisory Group to have come to that realization. But when you, when you, when you come to the realization, that's one thing. Enacting that as a reality is a whole other thing. So when you think about the spectrum of stakeholders, there are children, of course, and their parents. There's educators, both in school and, and informal educators. There's a higher education. There's community colleges, universities, private independent colleges and universities. There's um, the business sector, employers. There's state agencies. There's policymakers. All these players contribute to this realization that K-12 and workforce development are, in many fashions, hand in glove. Which, which stakeholder sector, if I may put you on the spot, would you say needs to get the memo stronger that this is all hands on deck, this is a workforce development initiative that has to start early? Do we need to message parents more strongly? Do we need to train our teachers differently? Do we need to bring higher education up to speed? Is it legislators? That, I'll let you talk. Well, Jeff, I love the, um, as you know, this is a team effort. And so it's not just workforce that's made this recognition. It's been led from the top, from Governor Reynolds on down. Um, and, and the stakeholders that you mentioned all are working very closely together across the state to address these issues. I think that both businesses and educators need to step up their game in terms of recognizing that they need to work very closely together and that it benefits all of us. It will benefit employers by helping them, you know, educate students and parents about the opportunities they have. 
I love the STEM externship program. And if I were ever queen for a day, every high school teacher in Iowa would need, would do an externship once every five years, because we have seen over and over and over again, the teachers that do the externships, it changes the way they teach. It creates awareness in them of, of how to teach, how to teach better, how to teach, how to get to students, how to explain to them why geometry and algebra are going to be important to them in the future um, and apply it in ways that make education fun. So it's a wide variety of stakeholders. But I think, you know, if we could get more collaboration, uh, which we have, we, we certainly have collaboration with businesses and K-12 systems, but we need more. We need all the local businesses to be working with their local school districts. We need those business owners to reach out to their school administrators, their guidance counselors, their teachers to say, I want to work with you. I want to help educate our kids in our community about what we're doing here. I want to bring them into the workplace so they can see the opportunities. Maybe they won't end up working here, but at least if I can expose them to what uh, different types of jobs there are and the pathways that you that you have available, it will keep them in the state of Iowa and maybe in the same industry. So that's where I think we need to really be spending our our resources in terms of strengthening those relationships. Thank you. Definitely a partnership. Well said. Our school partners, our business partners, and forging more of those engagements. I'm very excited with the work that's taking place under your umbrella at Iowa Workforce Development, under Debbie Durham's Economic Development Authority, our Governor's STEM Advisory Council, the intermediaries, IJAG. There's a number of entities in the state bringing wonderful solutions to the table. It's just now a matter of scaling to broad impact. Thank you. Well, then let's let's look to the future. Pull out your crystal ball, Beth, and, and how do you anticipate the STEM job landscape changing in the future? And I'm thinking 2040, 2050, hopefully we'll both still be charging hard in this direction, but uh, a couple of decades out, STEM jobs, high demand jobs, um, how do you see them changing? And and then as a follow-on, how do you see Iowa Workforce Development adapting to those changes to stay on the front edge? Again, that's a lot of questions, Jeff. So I think that in that the future um, is going to, most occupations and industries are going to require skim training and background. And it's just going to become even more and more important as we move forward as we develop what the workforce is going to look like, you know, because employers have made a lot of adjustments as a result of the pandemic, which I think has accelerated the loss of certain low-skilled jobs um, and increased the need for jobs that have post-secondary training and education, and specifically jobs that have STEM requirements with them, because um, the need to be able to work with technology, the need to be able to um, problem solve and think critically. Those are all STEM skills. Uh, and I can't imagine in the future that they're not going to be even more important than they are right now. Um, and it's hard to imagine industries where you don't have STEM skills, but I would predict that in the future, the occupations, it's not just going to be STEM skills. It's going to be basically a STEM based education, K-12 um, and throughout the post-secondary career. And that really Sometimes that scares adults who maybe didn't didn't like math or science when they went to high school, but that shouldn't intimidate you or put you off of the occupations that are open now because we have new ways of education. Uh, we have brought 
to bear new uh, methods to help individuals learn those skills through project-based learning, um, through tutors and mentors. You know, community colleges have really good programs that will help you overcome that fear and then be able to get into an occupation with those skills. And it's not that is not going to be a barrier to you moving forward. So uh, I, I just think in the next in the in the 20 years you're talking about STEM will be will be it. I mean, it'll be frankly the way that we move this country forward. It will be the way that our economy moves forward. It will certainly be the way industry moves forward. And in order to be a, a viable and vibrant part of that economy, you're going to have to have significant STEM STEM skills. STEM skill strength. It is such an interesting way you put that, that the pandemic is an accelerant to the future. Certainly in education, they're feeling it viscerally. Uh, at one time, digital learning, virtual platforms were a whisper in the background of education. Today it's dominating and no one saw that coming and no one was prepared. And similarly for jobs, the um, anything that can be automated is being automated. The skill sets that matter, I'm, I'm sure that I'm preaching to listeners who are the choir, but you can't automate critical thinking. You can't automate data analytics very well. You can't automate creating and making things and, and synergizing ideas from across a bunch of people. Those are the skill sets that are hopefully being emphasized today. They're going to be timeless, but if it, if it can be uh, a redundant mechanical operation, it's likely going to be soon automated. Well, but I think there's an interesting lesson to be learned from the pandemic that I hope assuages some of the fears that people had that, you know, when we talk about the future, we talk about everything's, you know, technically advanced and we're all living in our own little cocoons and, and human relations um, are, are a small part of what we do. And what we've learned through the pandemic is we as human beings crave community, we crave relationships. We will find ways to be a community and build communities, even in a technologically advanced world. And that gives me great hope that we are not moving towards an environment or a future where we're all just going to be living in our own little house with very little connection outside of that house while we do our job. What it's taught me or shown me is relationships are actually going to be more important. We're going to have to be more creative to build those communities while we work maybe differently and not and more from home or more in a centralized location than we have before. But that gives me great hope. That's uplifting and it's worth echoing. I think we had a podcast uh, in season one where a higher education leader said something very similar. As of March 11 of 2020, all the systems we had built were built because that's how humans want to operate. And so they all got um, muted and shut down through the pandemic, but it's, we haven't changed. We're mm -hmm. still the same animal and we still desire the same social constructs, et cetera. Point well taken and optimistic. Well, let me take you away from optimism and invite you to cast a shadow of caution by this question. What do you see as some of the greatest threats to meeting the future high demand jobs landscape? Well, in Iowa, we have to have broadband accessibility across the state. Uh, that's the number one challenge, I think, right now to be able to move the economy forward. Um, it is a big focus of the governor's Economic Recovery Advisory Board. We have to have broadband access now. 
uh, to the entire state for education and our employers. So we need to resolve that. I think we're moving in the right direction and certainly putting resources into it uh, to get that resolved. Uh, I, I think it's a matter of, you know, the biggest challenge we'll face also is getting our education system, and I mean K-12 and post-secondary in whatever post-secondary paths people take, also um, changed and evolved in a way that will address the training needs, the education needs of our future or of our present, actually. Um, as you indicated, you know, when we, we had not really, there had not been a lot of emphasis on online learning. That was kind of a background issue. That's a good way to describe it. And then when we were forced to, to do it uh, almost exclusively, it's not, it's not been a great transition, not because, uh, and I'm not being critical of educators or anything like that. It's just, we weren't ready to go from zero to a hundred that the pandemic required. And I think we're playing catch up and we're doing a much better job but I think we we really need to make sure that we have that hybrid form of education because we do need, I don't care what you're learning how to do, even if it's all online, you, we still need to have that sense of community and people want to be together um, and learn more effectively when they, when they have that type of togetherness, um, at least for a portion of the time. So I think it's reimagining our education system to, to evolve, to keep up with the changes that we're seeing in the world. Good, good. So let me probe a little deeper on that. You mentioned earlier, if you were queen for a day, you declare that there shall be externships for all educators. I'm with you, of course. <laughs> um, when you talk about the hybrid platform and K through 16 education systems and work-based learning, similar sort of a question. What, what are the what are the system inhibitors to that vision? What are the what are the policies or the rules and regs or traditions that are holding us back? Well, I think we have not had sufficient emphasis on the need for computer and IT training in K-12 system. We haven't kept up with that. And we really need to bring that because it's when you think about even the, you know, maybe our high schoolers can get by in, in what we're doing right now. And I'm sure that they probably can. But when you think about those kids that are starting kindergarten through sixth grade, the computer skills they are going to need to be even minimally qualified and and competitive in their future career uh, pathways is overwhelming. And the sooner, and, and the research has proven over and over again, that the sooner you start with computer type education, um, the, the more, the better learners kids are, the better outcomes there are, the more likely they are to continue to learn, you know, for like do lifelong learning. Um, so I think we need to work that more into the fabric and use it as a use computer based training to also learn math and science and literature and research and writing. I mean, it isn't like we need, you know, computer class and then English class and then history and et cetera, et cetera. I think that we can integrate better um, computer computer programs and training into our entire education. And I, I do believe that's the way that the that we're we're moving, and I think that's the way. You know, I'm not saying anything that school administrators or the Department of Education haven't been saying for a while now. They get it. It's just a matter of getting that again, solving the broadband issue, getting computers into all the schools that we have across the state, and figuring out ways to use that computer education to enhance our overall education experience. 
Yeah, I totally agree. What you're saying sounds very familiar. I feel like our STEM council is right where we need to be. And that's not a coincidence. You and our governor lead our direction. And so uh, we're all starting to uh, align forces and priorities. So these are the cautions or the challenges uh, that you, you, the threats that you've cast out that we need to make sure we get right. So let's flip the question to the positives, the opportunities that exist, the, the good things that are happening. What are some of the greatest opportunities you're seeing that are contributing to the likelihood that we will in fact meet the demand for preparing uh, STEM employees for the future? Well, Jeff, I don't think any of us who were, who worked on the Alliance like you, you and I did um, envisioned that the program would become as important and uh, grow at the pace that it has. But it has been, and to your point earlier, when you look around at other states, we are so lucky to have the leadership we have from yourself, from the governor to um, create learning opportunities for more Iowans and to provide or to knock down the barriers that have previously kept people out of post-secondary education through the last dollar scholarship program, um, but also just having an overall strategic plan like Future Ready Iowa from which we can address, you know, work-based learning and increasing that in our K-12 system. And it is, we, we're creating more, uh, high schools have more registered apprenticeship programs. We are getting um, through the virtual clearinghouse uh, webpage with the Department of Ed. We're getting more employers connected with schools to do virtual projects. Um, there is more emphasis and understanding, I think, in the in the uh, employer community about the need to work with their local schools and provide work-based learning opportunities. And that it's a really good uh, tool to use to help kids figure out what paths work for them. Because a, a program is equally successful if a child decides, I don't want to do that, um, as opposed to this is something I want to do for a very long time. Both outcomes are incredibly successful and important, and I think we need to keep that in mind. So um, I think the increased emphasis in work-based learning that's going on in K-12 is significant, and it needs to continue. The governor is out there banging the drum every day about these types of programs. She's a you know, workforce has been a priority for her from the beginning because she wants to lift all Iowans and she understands that education is the way that we do that. Um, and that's education, you know, at four-year universities, at community colleges, at short-term certificate programs, through registered apprenticeship programs, through our union uh, brothers and sisters who have training programs. So lots and lots of paths in Iowa for, for anyone to get um to get the skills and education and training they need to live a very successful life. Yeah, well put, so many forces at work, so many assets on the table and Iowa leading the nation, as you say, if not us, who? And if not now, when? Someone must have said one time. Um, Beth, those who get to know you, I'm privileged to be one of those, see you as a strategic optimist and that's a wonderful leadership style. It inspires, but it maintains a high bar of performance expectation. So let me wrap with this question about you and, and your own strategic optimism and where it derives from. Share with us something you've done lately or heard about or something you read or you saw or, or you realized yourself that inspires you about the future of STEM jobs in Iowa and 
across the nation? Well, I read a lot and I love to read history. And I think history is full of not only cautionary tales, but tales of optimism. I love hearing stories about people who overcome obstacles. Abraham Lincoln, as you can see from my little bobblehead behind me, is one of my is one of my heroes and what he overcame. Um, I talked a little bit about my mom, but my dad uh, grew up. He had a large family and they lived, you know, there was 12 kids and they lived in a, in a two bedroom house. Um, and he came out, he was the only person in his family. Uh, uh, with his siblings that graduated from college and went on to to bigger and better things. And that's what I love about America. It is it is possible. You can do it here. Everybody has the opportunity to succeed if you're willing to do the work. And that's why I'm optimistic about the future. And I love seeing and meeting kids who are overcoming obstacles. I love the IJAG program because they're all about helping kids who think there's no, they don't have alternatives to success, that their, that their paths are already decided, and they're not. That's just not true. There is no one we can't save, really. I don't care what your age is. I don't care what your background is or where you've been. You know, the work that we've done with people who are returning from our correctional facilities, meeting some of those, those individuals who have really turned their lives around and are becoming very successful because they chose to, they chose to make the right decisions. They chose to get an education and are now, you know, productive citizens. Um, I love redemption stories. Uh, I think my faith probably has the most to do with my optimism because it teaches us to be faithful and it teaches us that everyone is worthy of forgiveness and and um, and can be redeemed. And that's really what we're trying to do at Workforce is, is help people overcome decisions maybe that have held them back, help them overcome barriers they may have to their training, whether that's a disability, whether that's a, a felony record, whether that's you know not getting the right education when they were younger, we want to tell you that your path is not defined and determined. That you can change in it. It doesn't matter where you are in your life. Come and see us. There are lots of people who are rooting for you. There are a lot of pathways that are going to work for you. You just need to take that first big step to ask for help. And an entire state of Iowa, an entire workforce and education echoes ecosystem is there to help you succeed. And we want to, because we don't have the luxury of having, of leaving anybody behind. We're going to grow our economy. If we're going to recover from this pandemic, we need everybody to come with us. We need everybody to be performing at their, their best and highest potential. And that's why the future ready Iowa program has been so successful. I think it's because it's put in place tools that will help people address those barriers, get on the right career pathways get into great jobs in the state of Iowa um, and really be successful in, in just about any area that you want to go into. Well, your optimism and your determination are contagious. And I think we all should be catching that pandemic. And we are. <laughs> Beth Townsend, Director of Iowa Workforce Development. Thank you for sharing, sharing your compelling vision for STEM jobs of the future with Iowans and our partners across the country. Well, thank you for the opportunity, Jeff. You, you're always such a gracious uh, and thought-provoking leader, both in Iowa and, as we know from your time in Washington, D.C., that you, you are a, a nationally recognized leader in STEM. And you, my friend, when I met you, were kind of banging this drum in the woods by yourself, and now you've brought the entire state with you, and well done. Yeah, we've created some fanfare <laughs> together. Thank you so much. <laughs>
This has been episode one of our second series for STEM Essential, podcasts featuring the voices of edunomic innovation, brought to you by the Iowa Governor's STEM Advisory Council. Thank you for listening, and please join me next week to hear from another trailblazing STEM leader on the future of STEM jobs in Iowa. Today's and all STEM Essential podcasts will be available at iowastem.gov forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening to STEM Essential. This podcast is generously co-sponsored by Collins Aerospace and Mid-American Energy, proud partners of Iowa STEM Council. To learn more and find resources, please visit iowastem.gov.